Family Mode. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the U.S. Flavor of the V Brown Bag series. Um, this this evening, we are going to be kicking off our Azure um, series, and I'm very excited to have uh, Mr. Ben DeQual here. Um, he's got a fantastic accent. Um, he is from Australia, and, and he has a passion for wheat bix not Weetabix, which I just learned is a completely different cereal. Um, so a couple of housekeeping notes. We are fully engaged in the Twitters and on the hashtags and all of the things. I will be monitoring them from the back end. Um, if you want to get in on the conversation and want to shoot us some questions, if you at vbrownbag or hashtag vbrownbag, I will be monitoring that. If you are live in the audience of attendees, I will also be fielding your questions from there. Um, and uh, smoke signals, cell phone, however you feel like you want to get in touch with us. Um, so my name is uh, Chris Williams. You can find me at Mistwire on Twitter. Our guest this evening is the illustrious Mr. Ben DeQual. He is at B-E-N-D-I-Q on Twitter. And uh, Mr. Ben, are you ready to take the reins? Yeah, yeah, I'm just a bit concerned when people call me Mr. a lot. That's why. <laughs> you know, it, it's... Uh, it's I, a, I believe you I have to say my handle out loud. You can't spell it out. You've got to say it out loud. It sounds better. <laughs> All right. I have cut over <laughs> the uh, the buttons to you. You should see some buttons now. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, so yeah, look, um, I, I work at Microsoft. Um, that said, I mean, I'm, I'm a technologist. I work in our Intelligent Cloud CTO team. I do a lot of our technical leadership across Azure applications and infrastructure, which which means I, I pretty much a lot of our solution architects, our TSPs, you may see in the field, you may work with, if you see out there at your Azure as a customer, as a partner, or as one of our um, software vendor partners as well. <clears throat> um, I, I try and represent them in Redmond and also work with our product engineering teams. <clears throat> what I have got today is try and not be too biased. I've taken out some of the architecture out of our our decks. I'm trying not to make it all PowerPoint centric as well. So if you go over to my actual Edge browser, I'm using Edge guys because I'm trying to to, to love that. But of course, I've got Chrome over here too. Um, <clears throat> I <clears throat> I will be showing you a lot of real things, and um, I'm really happy to dive really into any questions as we go today. I mean, I think it's better if it's interactive. If people have questions, jump on, type them in. We can go into them. So. I'm not sure where we want to start in terms of what Azure is, but um, the, the background of Azure actually started in, in 2008. Uh, we, we, Microsoft launched a product called Red Dog in 2008, and, um, and this then went live to the public court getting, uh, being branded as Windows Azure in 2010, I think it was. So it's been around for far longer than I think people realize. <clears throat> One of the interesting things that happened, and I've, I've been at Microsoft five years now, was and so I sort of still at the end of this, my first joint. And um, <clears throat> when we first had Azure go to the market as Windows Azure, then Microsoft Azure, getting away from the Windows name, we were not providing any infrastructure services. It was all platform-based services. So bring your code, run it as a web app, run your, you know, your service in this manner and run it on Azure, which is kind of, um, you know, when we start looking at where we're going in terms of serverless architectures and, and trying to run things in a simple manner in that way, is where we all want to try and get to, but the reality is that we, we, yeah, we have a lot of infrastructure along the way that we have to take with us and then transform as we move towards what's appropriate. And some of these things too, I mean, never do change. I mean, I, I know customers still with AS400 sitting on premises running contracts from 70 years ago, so <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Now, this is one of my most hated slides in the world because we keep changing it. Um, so I've stopped updating and just put it in the browser because we did have 50 regions uh, two months ago. We now are up to 54 regions for Azure around the world. <clears throat> this means in terms of what the investment is to in, in terms of Microsoft, and you look at where we are versus, um, I, I would say personally to other predominant cloud providers in Amazon and, and Google. And, <clears throat> and this investment is worth tens of billions of dollars. And, and you talk about the time innovation that goes into this. It is very, very significant, and it's also talking about the fact that <clears throat> we, what, what Microsoft thinks about how important it is to have data in region, data in country where people are for security reasons, for latency reasons. One of my big feelings always is <clears throat> money can buy you bandwidth, but latency is forever. So we have to sort of go <laughs> where customers are. Come on, that's a great one. Um, that, is, that is fantastic. Have, I'm using that. You have to. 
you have to really go where the data is and you have to go and, and sort of work with what customers are doing and how they're doing it. So it is currently in these regions. The most recent ones announced included uh, Norway, which um, when you start looking at the fact of running data centers in very cold climates with geothermal power, it's not a bad move. In fact, we even have one a test data center in the North Sea underwater right now, small, hot anyway, the data center. So <clears throat> huge disbursement across the world for different services we are running in Azure, and then multiple actual services running out there. Um, if you go and talk about what we want to do as an organization, the things like Azure Stack also then fit into that. And um, Azure Stack is really there for the cases where you want to have an experience which is using discrete Azure services, not just virtual machines. If you want to run virtual machines networking storage, that's great. Azure Stack is probably going to be a terrible way to do it. If you want to go and run you know, virtual machine storage, networking, security, um, database as a service, uh, applications as a service, containers, everything from the same user experiences get deploying out of your different, uh, out of your different CICD pipeline tools into a location by simply selecting a region, seeing Azure Stack as a region. That's a great use case for Azure. Um, and that's sort of a limited way. It's, it's a limited cut down version what you see in the full Azure portal. So <clears throat> one of the big things to start with here is security as well. And, and again, I, I, I sort of will highlight that I think that anyone who is in the game of cloud has to be getting certifications, has to be doing a lot of the work that we've seen in the industry around this. So this is not, um, again, if I get kicked by marketing tomorrow, you know why, but this is, um, <clears throat> this is not something I'd say is you know, optional for any cloud provider out there. It is a necessity ongoing and making sure we not only have global and industry certifications, but regional certifications based on the countries we want to do business with. And we only have to look at the ramifications of GDPR coming into to play over the past few months, um, really, which has been sort of rolling out over the past few years to see where that's been coming and getting to. And then in terms of um, the security, again, I, I believe, I have a strong belief in this being the, the, the requirement for anyone running any cloud service, any of your data, any of your applications, they need to have these kind of securities in, whether you talk about personnel-based security, making sure they're verified, checked, um, <clears throat> only get access to systems in time, to physical security, to the actual security environment itself. This is a really, really huge requirement to me um, of how we run things and what we do, and, uh, and sort of core at any cloud provider out there and how we do things. Any questions over there so far, guys, or not? Um, let me double check everything. No, no, we, we are looking good. You're doing fantastic, sir. Thank you. <laughs> that was extraordinarily high, by the way, starting point. So <laughs> right. um, we'll get into it. A lot of the basis of what we offer in, inside of Azure, what you're going to see inside of Azure, and there's, there are certifications if you want to go and get certified with Azure today. Um, we have architecture development. And, uh, and infrastructure centric exams, but also you'll see those moving into more specializations around data, AI, and other workloads in the future too. But we sort of have at the basic of the basis of a lot of um, what we run here, our compute storage, networking, and management. So <clears throat> you'll see everything in the compute space. Now we do, by the way, have IaaS since about 2015, after the year, 2014. We started to say, okay, people do need virtual machines. We will we'll let that happen. So we, we have virtual machines, which are running really just as you see a VM today. There's a, there's a whole range of different SKUs across the build. So um, high memory, high performance, high storage. And, um, <clears throat> and we also put these in availability sets and availability zones. We have multiple data centers in the same physical region. And you can go and start using concepts like scale sets where you start running templates of your VMs and run hundreds of time and scale them back down automatically and other processes like using Azure Batch and, and the way we do maintenance here. Really interesting thing that's sort of been coming out in, in the cloud, you may or may not have seen over the past two years, is the reality that not everything is going to be able to sit on virtual infrastructure or a virtual environment. There are instances where we need bare metal access to machines, and this can be for a variety of reasons. It can be performance-based. Um, it could be actually also down to the fact of security and compliance where you want to do admission. So there are also physical machines available in Azure to do a variety of things, including um, interesting one is Cray inside of Azure. We have um, Cray supercomputers in Azure. We have also the ability to have SAP HANA large instances, which I think we talked about having with up to 40 terabytes of memory at SAP Sapphire several, um, 
about a month or two ago. Uh, there is dedicated physical HSMs available too, where you want tamper-proof, you know, 140-3 compliant um, HSMs to actually manage your security keys inside of the cloud that you can't, you know, that can't be tampered with by someone else and replicate with your on-premises HSMs, uh, as well as, um, what else do we have? Our confidential compute enclaves, so things like in the clear data and blockchain. And even, even though it's not really sort of storage, um, we go across here and we can see we even have um, Azure, uh, NetApp Azure files, Azure NetApp files, I should say. We can go and do things like create an NFS volume as a service with, uh, with a NetApp file on the back end and do things like SnapMirror snapshots into Azure and start taking that on-premises environment and connecting it in. And I look at this as being very, very important in where we we see a lot of the workloads go with um, with Azure today because we can, we are like a lot of cloud providers out there seeing again, Linux is the operating system of the cloud today. Um, <clears throat> you're lucky I'm using a Windows machine today. I also have a Mac and I also am running uh, a Mint laptop as well, Mint Linux as well. So, you know, you'll see different things as you go forward here, but uh, let's call it then the queue. And we can go and, um, sorry, I could be a bit longer here, some random letters. And you can go and create things like a NetApp NFS now point just as simply as um, by, by going and selecting size and provision and use that in things like a container-based environment, a Linux-based environment. <clears throat> um, some of the things around simplicity, I'm going to cheat and copy some code in. Um, <clears throat> when we're doing things like management, include the fact that we actually have in the Azure portal, which looks like this, it's very pretty, it's got colors, you can create dashboards, uh, you can start to get a sense of all the different services within Azure. I mean, virtual machines is just one service. There's a whole range of discrete applications and services within there, not counting our marketplace. And we also even offer the ability to go and run things inside of a PowerShell or Bash terminal natively in the cloud. So you have a cloud shell. And actually, the great time at DockerCon a few weeks ago showing customers um, demos on my phone, not because I think it's a practical way to administer your environment, but because um, there was actually very limited space. And I was just trying to show people how to provision a container. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. If you want to go and do something like provision a container in Azure, uh, which falls into compute space, we can simply go and do a single line of code and provision a Linux machine, a Linux container in Azure as a service, not running a Docker engine or a Kata, a Kata container engine in the back end, Larry, any Docker-based, any container-based engine to run this, running it as a service, not to run the VMs or manage the VMs and, and have them work together. And this is about the slowest I've ever seen this demo being recorded. I, I totally assume that has to happen. It well, that's the rule. Two seconds. That, that's that's the rule. This is a rule of demos. I, yeah. I, I actually did this on stage in front of a few thousand people in um, San Francisco a few months ago, and it was it, there we go. It was pretty damn quick, just like it was there. But basically, provisioning you know, the ability to do things like going, hey, I can have a container with a public IP available without installing or configuring a machine, a Docker engine, anything like that in a matter of moments and then publicly have that, that IP address. We'll, we'll, take to, we'll go to that in a moment um, as it installs Apache Tomcat on that container um, <clears throat> and, um, and have it up and running in a few seconds and being able to do that all the way to when we talk about machines in Azure for compute, things like machines running with RDMA and InfiniBand access for HPC workloads and GPUs for things like deep learning and AI. Over to our storage front now. Store, Azure storage is, um, again, like a lot of cloud storage, people have to sort of change the way they think about the concepts of what we use data, how we store data. The concept of RAID in the cloud does not exist. Um, <clears throat> and, it, and it never will. It, it's just not economical. It's not actually going to scale at the rate you need it to. So what happens in Azure itself, every block of data is distributed. At the heart of it all is blob storage. Every single block of data inside of the cloud, inside of Azure, is distributed three times across different availability steps. <clears throat> so that data is done in that way across a single region or multiple, multiples of data centers in one physical location. And that data is then you know, constantly error checked is moved around to different disks as we start to see things like bit rot or we change our servers or corruption or anything else. And people can also go and select options like to, to make its zone available, so to replicate to a nearby region with under two milliseconds of latency, or to make it globally redundant as well by ticking a box and or changing a, changing a marker and, and making it available in, um, <clears throat> in a location at least a few hundred kilometers away, or sorry, 
I should say at least 200 miles away for our US people. I am based in the US, but I still talk in metric um, <laughs> because we know it's better. <laughs> I, I fully agree, 100%. Um, our, and it's, it's kind of cool. What else you see there as well? We, 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 have the, we have the standard things you expect with disk storage, but in blob storage, disk run on blob, we also then have we have Azure Files, which is a which is a as a service SMB as a service coming out with now with high performance. You can back it up as a service in the cloud, and we also move data between hot, cold, and archived data tiers automatically now inside of Azure, and do things like uh, worm and compliance on that data itself. So write once, read many inside of the cloud, and that's available as well. And hot, cold, archive. What the hell does it mean? I should point this out too because these are our terms and you probably need it to <laughs> translate into other terms you're more familiar with. Hot data and hot data is obviously really talking about your constantly accessed data. Quite often it's not a very large percentage of the data set. But this is going to be on, on this will be the most expensive per gigabyte or per terabyte, but it'll be the lowest per transaction cost. And then you flip it around and say let's make it actually a higher transaction cost but a lower um, but a lower cost per terabyte in the cloud which is your cold storage. We still have it online. It's millisecond latency. Um, and finally, archive storage is really near line offline storage where you might be talking about minutes to hours of latency, high transaction costs, but very, very low capacity costs, well below your one cent a gig sort of uh, watermark that you want to get into when we talk about archive storage. And there's also plenty of ways to get it in there, such as um, we have Databox, which is a ruggedized encrypted appliance. Um, make it easy if you're with Amazon. It's very, very, it's comparable to what we see with us to, um, gosh, I'm forgetting terms today, Snowball. Yes. To get your data inside of Azure and, um, and things like that to get data in there. So those are some of the options available there. I, again, storage is a topic we're covering in the future, so I'm going to try not to go too deep. <laughs> Networking, whole range of options there. When you start talking about networking Azure, one of the concepts you're going to come across is a, is a VNet. So we talk about um, we talk about a virtual network or a VNet in there as a concept in again taking it back to V Brown Bay's origins. It's like a virtual suite. You'll create a V you'll create a VNet inside of Azure, and then you create multiple subnets and translate into VMware terms port groups uh, or V port groups inside inside of um, the VNet to go and create your different subnets in there. Then, then you look at things like how do we secure that traffic and we have security gateways in Azure. We also have third party ones as well. You can pull out of our marketplace, Palo Alto or uh, Barracuda, Checkpoint. Um, <clears throat> you, can, you can connect in from on-premises VPN or Express Route. Uh, VPN, which I'm sure we all know and love, it's simple, it's quick, it's easy. We'll give you up to, uh, I think we're looking up to about 400 megabits a second throughput on a VPN gateway today. And Express Route today, and I think we keep keep looking at the updates to the official rate of ingest for this, but um, up to 10 gigabits a second with uh, sub two millisecond latency. Of course, that all comes down to where you're physically located for that latency. Um, into Azure to get that data in, and that sort of can be an MPLS based approach to a physical um, cabled fiber pool within a by one of our partners like Equinix. And then we have load balances. We have <clears throat> DNS service traffic manager as a service. I'm just going to jump in back into the portal here just quickly while we got it because I want to show you the uh, container we pulled up before to see if it's actually working, which it is, um, hey. which is pretty cool to show. Hey. Um, and, then, and then there's also what we tie in, we talk about a lot with Azure as a management. I'm going to spend a bit of time in the portal showing you management on a virtual machine and, and other services in a second too. So any, any questions before I... Uh, Bulldozing on. Uh, actually, there was one quick question from Graham. He was wondering why there were so many uh, regions in Germany. <laughs> okay, let's go back to that one. Why are there well, so many well, regions? Well, you don't have to go all the way back. It's it was, it was just, <clears> no, no. It's, it's just a PowerPoint here. No, no I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not really doing the slides. I'm just talking, guys. Um, right. It's um, Germany started off. There was a huge demand in Germany initially. So you'll see here there are sovereign clouds as well. So what binds the Azure regions together, the standard Azure regions, is they actually do have the common, um, the common directory space. So if you've got, you can set up your authentication, connect in, and then do it from the one portal across multiple regions around the world. But then you have Sovereign Cloud. Sovereign Cloud is going to be for locations where it's going to have data, 
government classified data. So in the US, we have um, we call FedRAMP in the United States uh-huh. doing US Gov sovereign data, and it's it's classed for details there. Australia has two sovereign clouds in there as which are classified, which are actually classed for classified data, classified government data, which in Australia means you know the fact that platypuses aren't real. Um, hey. And <laughs> They're just made up. Um, don't tell anyone. Um, and in Germany itself, Germany started off with sovereign clouds and now they're expanding. And they, and they, obviously, there's a huge amount of compliance around the, the financial industry in Germany and, and the government. Hmm. Um, they're, they're very, very strict policies around what they do with data, how they protect data and information. So they started with sovereign cloud and now we're putting non-sovereign cloud data centers in there to take more commercial-based workloads that they want to move in. Um, the, the advantage of having non-sovereign cloud, of course, is the, the, the same directory structure across all of these, and um, as well as the fact that services will becoming av- become available far faster in non-sovereign cloud than in the sovereign cloud due to the certification process you have to go under the, the regulations of that country you're doing it for. Um, other ones to call out that we have here for it is, of course, the, the one for Germany, which is EU-based. Australia was one, again. The US have multiple regions. And China, which we also codename Mooncake, um, the initial regions there were not being run by Microsoft. They were being run by an external party under the requirements. It's only for Chinese companies. So again, very, um, very, very much based on where we're putting those data centers and how we're running them for that organization. Make sense? Yes, thank you. Cool. Um, I'm going to go through a little bit of the management here. This is one of the things I actually really, really like is the fact we have the ability to go and use GUIs, which is cool, right? If you're starting off, it's a great place to work. But as you get more advanced, you want to do things quickly. You also want to do things, um, you want to automate things, you want to set up infra's code. And, and we have that. You simply do a container here. This is inside of Bash, inside of an Azure portal. We're not running it on our machine. We even have things like Terraform built in natively into the, um, to the Azure Cloud Shell. So you can go and run your infra's code and start looking at different things with it without even have to run things locally on the machine. And, and this is great here. We've got Ansible in here as well. Um, you can go and provision machines, set up policies. And we also, as you would expect, also have a PowerShell option, PowerShell option as well. Um, funnily enough, we have more features in Bash than we do in PowerShell because we keep building a lot of this stuff out there, particularly with our cloud native development team now, product engineering team, which are doing things like Azure Container Service, sorry, Azure Kubernetes Service, um, Azure Container Instances inside of Azure, but we're having things faster, come out faster in the bash than we even do to PowerShell. We can then start to look what we can do with machines about management here. And the big call out where you see where we talk about Azure is Linux machines, open source workloads are very, very much a first party workload inside the cloud. So this is an Ubuntu machine here. We can see we've provisioned a basic machine, set it up, it's running. But if we want to do things like manage this and set up and like start to monitor, well, let's set up auto shutdown, start up. This is built in. Again, you can set whole policies instead of doing it across hundreds of machines, thousands of machines at once. But you can set up auto shutdown. Um, you can start doing things like backup as a service where you can start going, well, I want to back this machine up at 7 o'clock every evening and just tick a box to, um, to put that in place. And um, even do things like uh, DR as a service where you're replicating <clears throat> with, um, with application consistency snapshots across multiple Azure regions so you can do traditional, uh, traditional DR like we think about on-premises because when we talk about DR in the cloud, it's really about building resilient apps. We still back up data, we build them in a resilient way, but not everyone when they're moving their applications to the cloud has the luxury of doing that straight away. So, this is doing very traditional type backup where you can select a, a different region to, to replicate your data to, how often to do your backup, what kind of backup to connect it to, how often to, to keep even your, your point in time copies. I am running stupidly slow today, so you can do retention policies. I'm going to take out all these snapshots of that data. Um, it's going to be constant replication down to the, I think, probably look at it maybe down to about two minutes as a reasonable recovery point objective. And then with hourly snapshots, so if we actually need to roll back due to corruption, we can do that. And we build a lot of these things directly into the management layer of the Azure portal to try and make it as simple as possible for the customers to, to try and find things really easily. 
you see that as well when you start looking at um, <clears throat> the ability to, to go and look at metrics and and diagnose what's happening. Taking uh, a quick, quick question, Ben. Yeah, shoot. Um, for for the DR piece, was was the DR piece um, applicable to any VM uh, w with any flavor of operating system, or is that for Windows only? Oh, that's a great question. I actually showed you an Ubuntu machine. Um, oh yeah. Okay. It is. It was. Um, it is available for most distributions of Linux. Most distributions. So there, there are a few. So most distributions of Linux and Windows. Um, nice. Yeah, we, we are prioritizing by what we see. So I mean, if you start running a real, a very mainstream centric kind of distro like uh, Red Hat, CentOS, um, Ubuntu, CISA, inside of Azure, you can be pretty much guaranteed that will be supported. But we've, we've seen some of the more obscure ones, which you can run, or you can go and create your own images using Packer, mm -hmm. not have support yet. Um, there is a whole page when you go and look at Azure Docs, um, which you know, literally just Google Azure Docs. And it's pretty easy to find, so docs.microsoft.com. And I'll go through what is supported, what is not supported. I can tell you now, but I'll probably be wrong because we're constantly things. Right, right. Cool, thank you. No, no trouble. Um, we, we look at things like a, we, we have an Azure Advisor service built in here too, and this, this is really important because, again, people move to the cloud. Um, it's great, it's cool, you know, we, but if you're moving to the cloud just to save money, it's probably wrong. You're there to try and be flexible um, and, and give the ability to innovate more than anything. And, and it is actually quite common for people that sometimes create whole workloads to the cloud in a lift and shift way. and, and um, and find they're burning through more money because they're paying for the resources constantly rather than doing shared memory, um, <clears throat> having a CapEx resource, which they're really never gonna go over that boundary on. So we actually have products like Azure Advisor built in because ultimately the ongoing success of any cloud service is to make the customer successful because if, we don't, if you don't do that, I mean, you're not gonna keep using the service. In fact, you're gonna turn it off because you can see your real-time actions. It's not like buying a license using it, you're done. Mm -hmm. It's um, you can see what's happening, and even if you don't move things off, you've migrated onto one cloud provider. I think um, you probably would question the the applicability of moving to that cloud provider for more workloads in the future if you can't understand what you have there. So this is a cool feature built directly in again, so you can go and start looking at well, well what do you mean I need HA? So you don't want to move to the cloud, and you're used to doing things like. Um, on a VMware or Hyper-V, things like high availability, where it's there by default, you run a single VM, it's, it's, it is HA. On Azure, this is only um, set up on premium storage and still 99.9% .9 SLA in a single VM. So you would have balanced sets, you would have managed disks, you have different things in the back end set up to give you that fault tolerance you probably are used to having by default. I mean, the cloud, it, it has a lot of these considerations in there too. <clears throat> we, we talk about things like securing your environment too. I mean, you're, you're used to maybe a traditional Cisco data center using uh, using VMware, using your virtual vSwitchers, you're setting up data that way, maybe a checkpoint, a Palo Alto, Palo Alto firewall. Um, this is going through the different security settings you need to put in place to actually be secure, all the way from updates on your machines, and this is Linux and Windows machines, um, down to security gateways, public IP addresses being available, TCP 3389 being available from the public internet, which is obviously a, a big no-no. Um, and other considerations in there where you might want to change your networking to do things like forced tunneling, where you don't let traffic go directly ever out to the internet from the cloud, if you don't feel it's applicable, and you force it back in through maybe internal IPS and firewalls too. Um, performance again, <clears throat> I really I really like this performance one. So it's actually going in and telling you what can tuned to actually give you more applicable performance to what you need to run. So this is traffic management SQL being shown here. And again, it's not just turning it up, it's turning it down as well if you're not using all of the services over the, the selected data time. And um, <clears throat> and the cost aspect as well is pretty important where you don't want to go into the cloud and say, hey, we're going to do this cloud thing, it's going to be great, we're going to save you all this money and suddenly get a bill which is 20K more than you expected for the month. <laughs> and um, 20K is sort of being kind to some companies I've seen. <laughs> so you do actually try and give total visibility about what machines are running at what sizes to, so, so we have the opportunity to go on the right size workloads, um, <clears throat> gateways, as you see here, to, to have the appropriate services within Azure. 
I've now been going through the steps, remembering what, da what da parts of the dashboards I opened up. Um, <laughs> some of the other things you're going to see in Azure as well, which are, which are very interesting. Uh, what did I actually open? Active Directory is one of the biggest exponents, which yeah, I don't know AD. We've been working with AD for years. Uh, but Azure Active Directory is actually a huge thing in terms of um, what customers use. And in fact, not just customers who are Microsoft Azure customers, but customers using different clouds as well because we provide the service as a baseline for free, but then when you start doing multiple um, <clears throat> software as a service providers in there, more than I think, I can't remember today, I think it's maybe five is our maximum in the free version. And you want to do things like two-factor authentication, multi-factor authentication, we do um, MFA via a phone app or something else or phone calls. You can build that into Azure here, but this is a really cool service built directly in there that can replicate with on-premises Active Directory and start giving that whole integration, not just with Microsoft Azure, but across um, SaaS providers. So you could use it with Salesforce. Hell, you, a lot of customers go and use it with AWS as well as with Azure to give that federated model. Um, <clears throat> some of the, the interesting services includes the data services too, where, and this is, I always sort of have this conversation a lot, particularly my, my background, by the way, was very much data sort of centric around VMware predominantly. Um, Cisco, NetApp, EMC, HPE, uh, Dell, and back then it was IBM selling System X, not Lenovo. And sort of coming here, sort of trans taking a lot of these terms, and when you speak to people who haven't used Azure but are traditional data center people, it's not always applicable that, um, sorry, I'm just waiting my wife away, who's vacuuming right outside my door. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, can't hear it, you can't hear it on the, on the mic, it's, uh, you sound fine. Oh, good, good. Sorry, she was like, let's go, go. Um, <laughs> you can tell it's live, guys. Um, where, you know, something like the cloud platform, the cloud is not just infrastructure. I mentioned it before when I talked about um, Azure Stack. If you're running IaaS, just IaaS, it's the wrong thing. I mean, and you can be smart with IaaS. You can do a lot of things with infra as code. But really where a lot of the depth of the cloud comes and the interesting thing is it is well beyond the, the traditional infrastructure we think of and automation is things like Cosmos DB is an example here, which is a scale-ass database, which will, can be sharded. I think it's 10 gig shards and you can run across multiple regions for that, that singular access point and non-relational, non-traditional database um, <clears throat> as a service within the cloud. You can go and look at other things too. So what did I open here? We have Azure Expect, SQL and SQL Data Warehouse as a service. What you may not expect is we also have things like MySQL, Cassandra, Postgres um, as a service, as a database inside of Azure here, where you can go and set this up, um, simply select the collation you want to run, the connection strings, properties, select the pricing tier, which obviously price performance, and, um, and start running a MySQL database inside of the cloud without having to go through all the trouble of setting up a VM, installing it, managing, patching the VM, you're simply running a collation, selecting how much data you want to run there, what kind of performance you want to run, and backing it up. And it's, as I, you know, keep iterating, we've done a huge amount of effort to, we, we work, I would say, harder than anyone else, and I'm not saying anything negative about anyone else, but we are working harder than anyone else on open, change the perception of what Microsoft and open source have as a relationship. Um, and we see it in, in a lot of the work here. You've got Linux as a first party citizen. We were the first cloud provider actually to be on the open source, um, on the board of the open source, oh gosh, uh, mental blanking out right now. We've got John Gosman over on the board of our, the open source, um, gosh, don't worry about me. I've been getting things too much today. <laughs> um, for, for a lot of the open source efforts, you see for the people who run OzCon and other things there, Google just actually joined just recently. We've been on that board for a long time now. And you're getting Postgres, you're getting Cassandra as first party services inside of Azure. You don't have to go and select things like um, a Microsoft first party service. You will get quite often more, more support sometimes nowadays to run, to run Linux OSs or Linux containers in, in the cloud or things like um, or things like Java or, or, dot, or you know, um, JavaScript than you will for things like .NET and Windows in Azure. Really? So that's a really cool feature to talk about when you buy there. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think I pointed out before, I mean, the fact we have more in Bash than we have in PowerShell. Hmm, yeah. When you talk about management in Azure. And um, 
and Terraform sitting in there, Ansible sitting in there as first party offerings uh, ahead of some of the other options. Wow. It's, it's a big surprise for a lot of people. We, like, as I said, we have to work harder on this, I think, than anyone else. And we have to be to keep being held accountable for this. And, and I can tell you right now, when we talk with Red Hat, when we talk with um, Cloud Air and other companies like that, and you have open source focused products, centric products, mm -hmm. we have to, we, we work very, very tightly with them. And we have to work harder on this than anyone else, because if you look at our history, and I'm happy to say this before I joined, but <laughs> if you look back, and you can probably find some Steve Barmer stamping around on stage <clears throat> perspective saying that Linux and open source is a cancer. Right, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a good thing. While the reality of it today is it, it is really what is happening on the cloud. We're 100%, you know, still building and supporting and doing work around Windows. But when you look at the way we, we build our products, it's always looking at both as equal citizens. And... Um, as we see, what quite often happens, though, particularly into as you start peering into the development of the DevOps world, where it's got a stronger foothold than it would in traditional data center infrastructure teams, uh, you're going to see more and more Linux and other open source tooling being brought in there before first party toolings, because it's what our developers are working with, too. Um, interesting, interesting little fact there. We actually even had a lot of the teams inside of Microsoft, even our field people, the technical people as well. You have the option of having a Mac. Or, or a um, or a Windows laptop. There is no problem with it. And um, internally, we start to run Linux. As I said, I've got one of each right now. I've got a Mac, which is, and I've got a um, Surface Book, and I have a an older laptop, an old Lenovo running Linux. And the VPN experience is actually better on the Mac than it is on the Windows laptop right now for us. Hmm. Um, and then you can also take it over to other services too, where you start talking about Logic Apps. Uh, where you can start building and dragging, dropping different components and start running applications as a service where you start getting from this into then like serverless architectures under app service <clears throat> to start running your, your, your applications in a simple way. I mean, the whole concept of being able to drag and drop to give you workflows, to give you outcomes rather than having to be to write thousands of lines of code in this whole template set up here. Um, again, within Azure, it's really sort of cool to see and amazing to see. It makes me feel like I can be a real developer, even though I can't. Uh, the kids, my kids keep my ass right now in Python, 10 and 8. <laughs> They're using Scratch and they've moved to Python recently, and it's, it's amazing to see. Um, <clears throat> and there's other things in there too, which you probably would not even think about when you start thinking about cloud providers and services we have. And I showed you briefly before, there are hundreds of services here. Before we start even looking at our, our partner services like containers, um, batch, <clears throat> CDN, storage, notification hubs, Redis cache, everything else. I, I find this is one of the most amazing ones I've come across that we've we launched out of our Microsoft Research Org in the last six months, which is um, genomics as a service. Hmm. The whole concept that, so when you start talking about things like research or data analysis, the whole concept of <clears throat> taking your, getting your data sample, which would say through an IoT Connect, sample device would be um, would be you know uh, would be your first degree of data gets copied into an Azure storage account you look here there are very few options um, <clears throat> of how you configure what you set up it's really your keys your access and that's it storage copy that first degree data sample into the cloud into a storage account into object storage run a single line of Python code against your genomic service and it will do second degree analysis of that genomics data Wow. which will then be pumped down and run on Azure storage. You could do something with Cosmos DB or any other service you want uh, to start doing machine learning on that data itself to, to do the analysis of what that genomics outcome actually means. So um, things you start seeing coming up in, in the cloud for me, and this is why I talk about innovation, is, is staggering. Um, you know, you start looking at cloud because we want to get rid of a data center. It's costing us too much to move storage. Um, to, to keep old storage or to keep backups. There's all these different things we do, but I think the true value to me always is, what do we do next? How can we use that? We've got, we've suddenly moved 100 terabytes of data off on-premises. That's great. You know, 100 terabytes, by the way, seems laughably small nowadays. It used to rock my world five years ago. Um, <clears throat> but what do you do next with that? Start the requirement to come up and start doing a new application or build a new workflow. How does that change? 
uh, and it's it's really interesting. And uh, I think you know the ability to go and do it. We had one organization start doing that with call recordings, and they went from we just need somewhere cheap to store these call recordings for seven years, which next became, well, let's index all these data and start indexing it with our CRM and start pointing to the exact links. And then we, we ran a natural language. We've got um, a service in our cognitive services running things like language analysis and sentiment analysis, doing natural language translation into text and, and, to, and then anal analyzing what actually is intended by what the person says, not just what they say, but how they say it. For example, my wife said, you know, I'm like, oh, hey, I'm going to the pub. And my wife goes, that's fine. And you go, okay, I'm good. However, you could also say, I'm going to the pub. And my wife goes, that's fine. And you know the second one, you're in trouble. Um, but analysis, actually, of the core recording. So when someone popped up onto the screen next time, they got a visual dashboard. And this is something that got built as a, as a pilot by one of their own architects in about three weeks based on core recording data they were keeping because it was cheap to keep it in the cloud. <clears throat> and they were able to do a um, dashboard pop up on the screen within about 10 seconds of the call coming in and show the whole analysis and, and sentiment and what they were discussing as a customer over the last you know, 10, 15 calls, which is pretty cool. I mean, if you think about how frustrated you are when you go into a, a conversation, you get transferred and people can't remember what you said or you have to give all the details again, you do that three or four times in one call. This is looking at that history and giving a visual sort of indicator to the people taking the call within seconds of being on the phone, which is pretty cool. So I, that is one of the really interesting things about what you can do with cloud um, and, and why it's powerful. It's not, it's not about the ability to be cheap, it's about the ability to innovate. Awesome. Any, any questions before I, I'm gonna dive a little bit more into the monitoring side to show you a few things and really just open myself to any Q&A you have. Uh, no, uh, we're locally we're good. Um, Couple of comments from Graham about the uh, the Linux Foundation um, uh, agreement. Sorry, that's what I'm thinking of. Sorry. Sorry, what? <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about Linux Foundation. I totally thank you very much. That was exactly what I was thinking about. I um, yeah, the platform having membership. one of those. Yeah, I am having one of those days. So, apologies, guys. Um, <laughs> and um, we we had a we have a huge uh, we have a huge internal technical conference coming up next week in Las Vegas where I'm helping run a lot of the Azure. I think so my head's been in planning that and the subsequent week after that we'd like to take a lot of our subject matter experts in different areas and really lock in our field tech people with our engineering teams to talk about what's working what's not where we're going why we're doing it um, finally you know just just closing up on some of the things we also do is is some of the management and monitoring we, we provide and this is cool because it's not just for workloads inside of Azure it's across on-premises or on other clouds too, as well as in Azure. So we offer a lot of this directly in there. And some of the concepts are really, really cool, like service map, where you can start to see which machines connect to which machines, start to go, well, <clears throat> that web server can't be down because the web server's up, and start looking at it as a whole and how they interconnect in and seeing live information and content there. Um, you'll see if my load time is any better right now. Um, <clears throat> There we go. So we can actually see what is making up that application and see in real time, or we can be granular in the times we want to collect, last hour, 30 minutes, give it a time segment, what they're connect connecting into these workloads, what they're connecting out to, and even potential problems we can see in these machines. So you can start to see alerts around, <clears throat> um, around updates, I think, in this case, for our alerts on this machine. Jeez, I'm sorry, I'm really having some lag. It might be my home internet. <laughs> I'm going to blame that. Um, service ticket, tickets, uh, performance, even changes that are occurring to the machine if people have gone and installed new software, but you can start to really get views of applications and, um, and take that back a step into, into other things and start looking at that from an application-centric point of view where you can look at how different parts of the APIs actually connect into each other to make up your web service and what services they're connecting to at a sub IaaS layer. So you're looking at the actual application layer and you can put that into something like a .NET Java application very, very quickly, very easily. Start managing containers, um, backup, SQL health checks, AD health checks, network security groups, performance across your network, even system updates out of your portal too. So there's a lot of stuff we've put in there and you're seeing the evolution really here of um, where we've taken on-premises monitoring and started to go, well, 
what about monitoring across all workloads on our cloud and also on-premises and other as well? Uh, a quick question. Yeah, sure. The, um, the, the, the previous monitoring options, does that require an agent on every machine? This one here? Uh, it depends which one. There's a single bootstrap agent uh, which will run for all of the for all of these options except application map, which you would actually put into your code. Okay, thank you. That makes sense. So this is the bootstrap agent, and to be honest, um, there's a lot of work that goes into making those agents lightweight. And to start talking about multi-site, multi-cloud, uh, there is no real way of going an agentless approach to that. All things that have been reviewed and discussed. Hmm. <laughs> Trust at, at length. Right. Um, interesting as well is some of the stuff like IoT on Azure 2, which I'm only just going to show a PowerPoint for here, which is a huge buzzword. But what IoT means to us is Microsoft is not just, you know, having devices and then processing data. And I always think about IoT really as a vacuum cleaner for ML and, and, and deep learning. Um, but it's also making sure the connectivity is secure. And one of the initiatives we even did here, and this is sort of, it does tie into Azure as part of it, is, is do Azure Sphere, which is a really a secured, hardened OS to, to, that can be run on any device for IoT-enabled devices, which is actually based um, on our Xbox platform because that is one of the most targeted platforms in the world, strangely enough, you wouldn't realize it, but a lot of people try and take these consumer devices where they're sitting on your home network, no firewalls or little firewalls. Mm -hmm. You might have your neck gear router sitting there and they're targeted and they've never actually been hacked. We actually, if you go and have a look on the web, there is a bounty for anyone who can penetrate one of the Xboxes in that way. And so we've actually taken a lot of the work we did there, which is not just software, it's in silicon as well. And we've made this available out to a partner to, to talk about the fact, you know, it's not just about having the IoT devices out there gathering data, they're taking action. Um, <clears throat> they're, they're doing things like, you know, running your power grids, for example. And you don't want the option where someone can hijack that power grid and suddenly like some of the, the doomsday movies take over. So there's a lot of work going in around there. And that's well. called that's so, called Sphere? The, the OS is called Sphere? Azure, Azure Sphere, yeah. Hmm. We're up here before, shall we? Um, Azure Sphere which is a really cool thing to go and look at when you start to think about it. It's thinking about that whole hybrid scenario. Uh, we announced cool. it in April RSA Conf, uh -huh. um, <clears throat> where it really is about that connectivity and the performance and, and sort of the security of your devices out there when you look at all the, the devices you have in place. So um, other things I can think of off the bat as well include high performance computing, which includes things like GPU, deep learning, AI, InfiniBand, RDMA connection. Um, really interesting to see the fact that you'll have customers and people doing like, you know, weather mapping scenarios running thousands of calls to, 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 to calculate weather cells um, so you can call emergency dispatches on Azure today. Mm -hmm. We have um, multiple autonomous driving projects and, uh, and GPUs and things like FPGA is available to, to run a lot of this data on. Um, ML services, I showed you quickly things like Cosmos DB, but there is Workbenches, Modelers, everything as a service in Azure. And I quick, and again, um, I quickly mentioned cognitive services in an example, but things to do um, as a service, when you talk about AI for all, not everyone out there is a data scientist that can go and build and then train their own model. Mm -hmm. So the ability to take some more standard application like language conversion to speech, translation of language, which you may even see in things like Skype, where it's doing real-time translation now. Um, doing doing things like looking at image recognition and inference, <clears throat> um, down to, as we talked about as well, analyzing what people mean by the way they say it, not just by what they say. Awesome. Um, I think that was pretty much all I was going to cover today. There's a, a, a lot in there, and I'm glad we've got multiple ones here when Cody spoke to me about this a few months ago. Um, and then convinced me over a beer when he, when he crashed in my spare room about a month and a half ago. He was sort of going, where do we even start? He's good um, at that. Like, <laughs> at crashing in your spare room or convincing you? Uh, uh, both. Convincing. More, more, more of the convincing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not familiar with the crashing. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, well, he decided for some reason to drive from uh, from near Austin to uh, Vancouver, and I'm in I'm in Seattle, so I'm on the way. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's a hard thing. Whenever you talk about, if you get someone, if you, and I'm sure you're going to get this, you've had the same thing. If you get someone going, what's AWS? There's a right. lot in there. It's very complex. There's huge amounts of APIs. There's um, diverse ranges of options and, and first-party products and tools and discrete tools, virtual machines, things you can run, partnerships. And then as well as that third-party things, you can pull it up a marketplace where you can start running, you know, hey, I'm going to do Pivotal Cloud Foundry as a service, um, <laughs> uh, which people do. Um, really interesting ones even. I mentioned Terraform before, and Hashi have gone and built things like Terraform um, as a service inside of app where you can go and um, <clears throat> where you can actually go and um, and run this across multiple subscriptions out of the marketplace and spin it up really, really quickly. It's pretty cool to see the amount of things available. It's also daunting at times to work out what do I use? Where do I start? So I think it's um I think it's always the best thing you can do is start going and looking at first and foremost what do I need to try and achieve and start looking at an application or workload or project by project rather than try and Try and put your mouth around that fire hose and suck it all in. Well, I was I was just about to ask uh, exactly that. So, how how many services? So so if you if you take if you take out the four food groups, RAM, disk, CPU, and, and networking, and you actually look at the services layered on top of those offerings, how many how many services does does Azure have now? Because having a genomic Gosh. service seems astonishing. It is, particularly to, to a lot of us who are maybe, you know, data center or DevOps or dev people. Um, right. I don't know anymore. I'm, I've really given up keeping count. <laughs> Just, it was sort of like, you know, I sort of take it back to when you first joined Twitter 10, 10 years ago, whatever it may have been, mm. um, when you didn't have, you know, when people first joined Twitter, period, you didn't have many followers. It wasn't a lot of content on your screen. It was easy to keep up with things. I remember getting in, waking up each morning, going, okay, let's check everything I missed overnight being in Australia at the time there was you know the whole US had gone through its cycle mostly right and you'd be caught up in about two minutes three minutes mm -hmm. and then it started getting more and more and you started just to get to the stage you go I'm, I'm gonna miss things I'm, I'm just gonna have to accept the fact I'm gonna miss things and when I need to find them I'll go back and find them but I've really just going to consume and use what I'm trying to find right now we're talking about hundreds when you start talking about the different kind of virtual machines storage options um, even networking products we have in there, there's, there's hundreds of different options of first-party services before we even get third-party. Um, just drilling in to um, just drilling into one service like this can suddenly, you know, give you a range of things. You go, oh, didn't even think about that. So, right, it's um, it, it is quite complex. It's quite complex to say how many there are, but I mean, I think as I said, I, I still go to the view that we really just need to start by looking at what we're trying to achieve and then map it out to how we build it. Gotcha. Um, and then dive into the different things available and how we can run them. So I've actually just clicked on, I've even got myself all confused on this one. So it is probably hundreds of services, um, some of the most commonly used. I mean, as you'd expect in most cloud providers, even though there is a lot of what about the way you develop, um, I think you know, things like compute, IaaS compute and storage are probably the, the largest users on, on Azure. Today. Sure, sure. Yeah. But then, then, then other things like app service, so platform-centric services, which include things like service fabric, websites as a service, you want to run Drupal as a service um, in Azure, uh, are big consumers as well. Um, and the, the Azure contain Kubernetes service, which keeps saying container service, uh, the AKS, which went live um, at DockerCon, I had to answer that question about 100 times on that day. It's like, when's it going live? It's like, five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> Where you get to run containers as a service um, is is also starting to consume huge amounts of of customer workloads as well because it's very very sort of easy to go and modernize traditional apps, let alone build new applications with a container concept too. Awesome. Um, what else did you want? To, anything else I can cover for you? Was that okay? Or we we um. Is that a good start? Do you think for the weeks ahead? I I, I think that is. Um, the the uh, you know the, the the first 
broad strokes of a of a system as massive as as a you know here's all the cloud offerings from Microsoft you you know that's that's never gonna that's, you're never gonna squeeze that into 60 minutes uh, but but that was a fantastic yeah. uh, pass <laughs> one of the one of the things that probably just before I uh, um, before I go away on and finish it up too is one of the best things to look at if you want to start using something like Azure as a platform, hmm. um, is this the right one before? Is the, the Azure Virtual Data Center. This is on our Azure Docs page. So I just searched for it, Azure Virtual Data Center. Um, this is really interesting because it covers off, this may not even be the one I'm after. Um, oh no, it is Virtual Data Center. Because it covers off what do you need to do to start building a, uh, a data center in the cloud. And this is doing an Azure lens on it. So um, great, you've played away around with some virtual machines. You may have run a logic app. You may have run whatever else. But now you want to run it for real. Um, this is really, really good because it takes into account things like identity, management of identity and people, connectivity, securing, and a lot of the basics you need to get set up. Even things like how do I manage my subscription before you want to start running things in anger in the cloud too. So I definitely point people to start looking at the Azure Docs um, architecture page as well for things like that. Really, really useful if you are looking at at doing this uh, more than just playing around and getting certified or getting experienced on it. Very cool. Very cool. Um, in in preparation for our listeners who are going to be watching the the next episode, uh, any any recommendations? Or read read this document, of course. Um, any is there yeah. any other thing? Is there like a like a, a broad strokes broad strokes white page white paper or um, is is it really just you know jump jump into docs.microsoft.com slash Azure oh, and and uh, just start working your way down the list? Yeah. Well, and but. And, I would I would start with looking at some of the architecture docs on docs.azure.com mm -hmm. um, and get all my GitHub, re GitHub repos as well. GitHub, I should add a Microsoft company. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a brand new Microsoft um, company. Congratulations. So <laughs> Kubernetes Ninja Cat now. Um, we've got some even got some workshops up there which I may. Can I copy and paste this into the window or not? Uh, sure. Th throw it into the chat I channel can. and and I'll, I'll I'll spam it up. Awesome. Um, we're using the things like workshops we make available. We're publishing on GitHub now. Uh, before we acquired GitHub, we'd already started this process. So you can go and talk about how do I actually build something which is resilient in the cloud. I talked about DR in the cloud being totally different. How do I go and build a architecture for infrastructure as a service today? And doing hands-on work workshops on that. And when you go back, and I showed you the Azure Docs page, when you go back and look at Azure Docs, wrong page, I'm sorry. Um, this is all actually open source as well. Even our documentation now is open source. So if you go, this is great, this is really, really good, but I don't agree with something, I'm going to call it a bug. You can actually go, sign in with your GitHub account. And again, this has been around. Nice. This has been, you know, this has been around now for, I think we've been about eight months since we open sourced all our docs too. Mm -hmm. And you can actually do a pull, you, you can clone, do a pull request, um, raise a bug on the doc and suggest updates. That's awesome. What's become really, um, what's become really interesting from the top down, our leadership level down, Scott Guthrie, who runs all of our, our engineering org for um, Azure Engineering, uh, reporting into Satya, will actually spend a few hours each week himself reviewing documents on Azure Docs. Just and, um, to, we've to, had, we've had some, yeah, to, to check the validity himself. We have people. We encourage everyone internally to go through raise issues if we see them and keep this current. And so it's the best way to keep things current when you talk about the cloud where the product you knew last week, it may be totally different in a month. It has a whole heap more options. So um, yeah, have a look through some of these documentations, some of this doc doco as well. Uh, and if you want to make suggestions, again, just go in, raise a bug, raise an issue, and we'd love to get any feedback. Very cool. Awesome. Cool. All right. Uh, let me um, let me double check all the the decks and everything. A lot of uh, a lot of thank yous and uh, job well done's uh, coming fr coming from our, our listeners right now. Um, so yeah. Uh, oh, great. Glad it was useful. I, I think I think we've uh, any other questions? Nope. Uh, and a, and a thank you for the uh, for the GitHub link as well. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just we, we are actually putting a bunch of sessions like that, um, a bunch of workshops, so um, people can actually not just go and 
I, I don't know if you've seen my, how I look at my stuff on Twitter. I'm a little, I get to review some of the Azure, the Azure exams as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not always a big believer in exams as the only way to measure someone. I think it's great showing you can remember things, but understanding how things work and the knowledge and being able to do them and, and have a scenario is great as well. So we're making a big deal about getting architecture docs published, like this virtual data center expanding out on this. Mm-hmm. And um, those workshops you see, uh, if you go and follow the bouncing ball from the one I showed you, there are actually other ones about building a web app on, on Azure as well. And um, <clears throat> building a web app on Azure and doing things like even doing rendering in the cloud where you can say, hey, I want to be like one of these media production customers and, and render some images and data myself. Um, which kind of gets pretty fun as well. We, <laughs> if you look at some of those things like um, uh, how to train your Dragon 2, I think we're talking about like 60 million compute hours, compute core hours. Oh yeah, wow. So um, I'll also add a DevOps, um, a DevOps workshop on there too. But yeah, anyway, um, I saw there's a little thing at the top too, just talking about Azure for dummies. Um, I, I doubt anyone on this call is dumb. <laughs> I like would, word. would disagree with that notion. I'm extraordinarily stupid. Uh, no, no, no. So. Dumb and stupid are different things, to be clear. <laughs> Personally, I'm ignorant. Um, but it's, I think um, there is a lot of guides in the official training documentation online to get mm-hmm. you started. Cool. Um, that, that's a great place to get started. There's a lot of basic Azure Docs to jump into um, as well to get yourself started in Azure Docs. It'll go all the way, as I said, that building a virtual data center is a great place to start to, to go and learn the basics. But even just going there and start saying, well, if you go back to the Azure Docs page for a second there, you want to go and say, I want to provision a Linux virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Here's a weird duality, by the way. Go on to Linux and it'll tell you how to provision a machine via Bash or Terraform or Ansible. Um, go into Windows and it'll show you a GUI. <laughs> which, um, nice. Or it did about it did about two months ago, which I, I don't think is really fair because a lot of the Windows-centric people will be using um, Terraform or Bash or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have also, if you go down the page here, there is a lot of stuff. Where, oh, sorry, we were remember to go. There's a whole heap of quick starts mm. right there uh, where we've actually paid for free plural training to get people that ground-up approach. Very nice. So really, concepts getting covered. Probably in a far, far more structured and better way than I just did. <laughs> awesome. Well, Pluralsight's a really good website too. Excellent. This this is a lot a lot of fantastic yeah. resources and a and a great kickoff to the Azure series. Yay! Go Ben. <laughs> thanks so much for having me on that too. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. This was absolutely fantastic. Thanks, thanks for coming out and uh, to, to everybody listening. Uh, thank thank you for attending and uh, th- thank you Ben. Great.